This morning, we continue our series of messages from the book of First Peter, which reveals rumors of hope that went viral in the first century and changed the world. Whispers spread that new life was possible through Jesus Christ, a marginalized Jew put to death by the Romans in an effort to stop the movement he started. No one could fully explain the empty tomb, eyewitness accounts of his resurrected body, or the zeal of his followers. And according to the rumor, Jesus' sacrificial death covered personal sin, and his resurrected life promised new life, and anyone placing their faith in him received eternal life, a quality of life lived now into eternity. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10, Peter adds a new detail to this story. God chose you to live this new life with a new purpose in a new house, the house of faith. In Jesus Christ, God laid the cornerstone and Christians are the living stones that God places to offer living sacrifices in Jesus's name and fulfill his mission. This is the church, the body of Christ, God's special possession chosen by him. Now, one of the realities of life in a pandemic is that our lifestyles change. We don't go to the market. The market comes to us. We don't go to class. The class comes to us or Zooms to us. We don't go to the restaurant, the restaurant comes to us, or we open up our own at home. We don't go to the gym, the gym is home with us. The rituals we loved that filled our lives have been set aside by a nasty virus, including gathering for worship. We can't sit in our regular pew or whatever chair in whatever section on whatever side of the auditorium we favored. We miss the rituals of trying to get everyone out the door on Sunday morning and greeting our friends as we come to church and maybe getting lunch together afterwards. And this reminds us of something that was brand new to Peter's readers. The church, it isn't a building. It isn't a place. It's a people. And in fact, It wasn't until the 3rd century A.D. that the first church building was built in present-day Jordan, large enough for 70 Christian exiles from Jerusalem. But over the years, the church developed an edifice complex, as some have called it, focusing on grand building projects while creating confusion about the true nature of the church. Is the church a building or is it a people? Now, the lack of structures is one reason why early Christians were sometimes accused of being atheists by their unbelieving neighbors. Christianity didn't look like a religion. New Testament churches didn't have buildings, priests, or physical sacrifices. Christianity lacked the physicality of Judaism or pagan worship. There's no temples, no holy sites for pilgrimages. No visible iconography that signified their faith. These new Christians in Asia Minor, strangers and foreigners, spiritually and socially, struggled to envision and embrace their faith. So, 
Peter addresses their feelings of displacement by sharing a vision of the true nature of the church that God designed it to be. He uses physical images to describe what is intrinsically spiritual. Believers in Christ formed into a spiritual community offering living sacrifices. He begins by listing the building materials God used to build this house of faith. First of all, we see living stones. <clears throat> in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, it says, As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans and chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, Peter identifies Jesus as the living stone, the precious yet rejected cornerstone, uh, which he'll explain more fully. Peter points to the identity of the living stone um, by using an article, the living stone, then uses the same term without an article to refer to Christians, living stones, not emphasizing the identity, but the quality or character uh, of these living stones. Uh, these living stones are like the precious stone, but how? Now, these living stones are holy. They've been set apart from sin and death to righteousness and life through Christ's sacrifice, which makes them suitable materials for a spiritual house built without human hands. In the Old Testament tabernacle and temples had been concessions to provide a way for God's presence to remain with his people separated by sin. But Jesus' sacrifice removed the barrier of sin. And so a structure was no longer necessary because his presence is within and among his people. One day, walking with his disciples near the temple in Jerusalem, Jesus alluded to this new spiritual house. In Mark chapter 13, verses 1 and 2, it says, As Jesus was leaving the temple, some of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, uh, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. And Jesus said, do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left on another, and everyone will be thrown down. Every one of them will be thrown down. Now, Peter's good news is that his readers are the fulfillment of that. Living stones replacing the temple stones built into a spiritual house. This is the new covenant. This is, these are stone, hearts of stone replaced by hearts of flesh. In Ezekiel 36, 26, it says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. A hearts of stone was literal and figurative. The Jews placed their faith in physical stones and structures. It was a form of materialism that made them feel secure. The hearts of flesh is literal and figurative as well. Christians reflect the, the image of God incarnate in Jesus Christ, humanity and holiness together, body and soul, 
the human spirit and the Holy Spirit as one. Now the people of God are a temple and a priesthood offering their bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God in worship, devotion, and obedience. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, the Apostle Paul asks, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? Now, as God's temple, what kinds of sacrifices may we offer that are spiritual and acceptable to God, especially during this pandemic when we can't gather physically as the people of God? Well, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, it tells us, In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, if spiritual sacrifices have to do with offering our bodies to serve God, well, how can we do that sheltered in place? Well, prayer is an example of offering ourselves as a sacrifice to God. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 6, um, we're exhorted to carry each other's burdens in order to fulfill God's will. And the best way to do that is to, is to apply our time and attention uh, to prayer. Prayer is the, is the mortar joining living stones in a spiritual house. And during the shutdown, schedules change, but time is available to pray if we choose to deny ourselves of other things, to use our bodies, our time in this way, to offer a spiritual sacrifice. We can offer prayer sacrifices anytime and anywhere. A sacrifice of praise is a spoken affirmation of God's character or power. Another example of a, of a sacrifice that we can offer. Hebrews 13, 15 says, Through Jesus, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. A sacrifice of doing good uh, is another, sharing whatever we have in whatever way we can, uh, having a generous spirit. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not forget to do good and to share with others, for with such sacrifices God is pleased. Sheltered in place, as we experience the droning dailies and fight the temptation to pull into ourselves, shut others out, and decide that, at least for a few moments, we don't care, a sacrifice of doing good is the act of us picking up our cross of crucifying our flesh um, and, and following after the Lord Jesus. Another spiritual sacrifice uh, is the sacrifice of faith, choosing to trust God during this difficult time and encouraging others to do the same. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 17, the Apostle Paul says, But even if I am being poured out, like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. I am glad and rejoice with all of you. Paul is pouring himself out as a sacrifice so that they will pour themselves out as sacrifices. And so even during a pandemic, a Christian community, a spiritual house of living stones can worship God together even though we aren't together physically. Now next, Peter gets to the foundation of this spiritual house. And so 
We are living stones that are built on a cornerstone, and Christ is the cornerstone. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 6 through 8, it says, For in Scripture it says, <clears throat> See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And now to you who believe, the stone is precious. But to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Now, despite God's opinion that his son is a precious stone, Jesus was cast aside like a worthless stone by those he came to save. And privately with his disciples, Jesus predicted what was to come. In Mark 8, 31, it says, he, Jesus, began to teach them that the Son of God must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. <clears throat> now, initially, Peter had a huge issue with this. I mean, it was just an unthinkable defeat for the Son of God and the kingdom of God in his mind. But after the resurrection, Peter fully understood Jesus' teaching and integrated it into his message to believers in the dispersion. Behind this passage in 1 Peter chapter 2 is one of the parables Jesus shared during the last week of his life, the parable of the, of the tenants. And Jesus was at the peak of popularity after the triumphal entry into Jerusalem, where he was heralded as king. Um, he cleared money changers out of the temple and then he, he healed the blind and the lame. And even, but even as Jesus gave signs that he was the promised Messiah, the Jewish leaders were plotting with the Romans to kill him before he could do any more damage. And in this parable, the vineyard is a metaphor for Israel. The tenants represent Jesus's, or excuse me, Jewish religious leaders. And the son who is killed uh, and cast out is Jesus Christ. Let me read this parable to you. It's found in Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 46. Jesus said this, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who, who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a, a watchtower. And then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. When the harvest time approached, he sent his servants to the tenants to collect his, his fruit. The tenants seized his servants. They beat one, killed another, and stoned a third. And then he sent other servants to them more than the first time. And the tenants treated them the same way. Last of all, he sent his son to them, thinking, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to each other, well, this is the heir. Come, let's kill him and take his inheritance. And so they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? He will bring those wretches to a wretched end, uh, they replied, the gathered leaders listening to the parable. And he'll, he'll rent the vineyard to other tenants 
who will give him his share of the crop at harvest time. But then Jesus said to them, have you never read in the scriptures? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and the Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. And anyone who, who, who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. And when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus's parables, well, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. Now, if Jesus had claimed to be one of the prophets or a gifted teacher, that would have been fine. But he claimed to be the actual Messiah, which was a problem. He didn't fit the Messiah profile for the Jews. And coming as a king threatened Caesar's claims of deity with the Romans. And this remains the issue today. And people are fine with Jesus as a way or a truth or a path to life, but not the way. And this is what folks stumble over. Jesus is the way. The Bible is the truth. Following Christ is the life. And our postmodern world seeks to put to death any meta narrative above the others and deconstruct any authority that requires obedience. Christianity is fine as one of the stories, but not the story. And Jesus claimed that all authority was his. And so people reject him because they want to continue to do what they want to do. They want some authority. They want to be laws unto themselves. And following requires repentance, turning around. But people want to keep doing what they're doing and then will attack whatever teaching or philosophy tells them differently but they can't remove the living stone. And so they continue to stumble over him and will be crushed by this. In his parable, Jesus quoted Psalm 118, 22. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Jewish leaders abetted by the Romans are emblematic of all those who stumble, that is who reject Jesus and are crushed by their unbelief. So Jesus is the choice and precious capstone of the house, Peter says, um, in this house that is made up of living stones. He's the cornerstone. And cornerstone is a compound word. It combines head and corner, and it's also translated capstone. And Jesus is both. He's the cornerstone that anchors and guides construction and the capstone, the apex, the highest point, the unifying center of the building. In the building technique from which the figure is drawn, the cornerstone of the foundation would be the first stone to be put in place. And since both the angle of the walls and the level of the stone courses uh, would be extended from it, the cornerstone must be square and true. And Christ is the living stone, the cornerstone, set in place by the resurrection. Jesus is the one Jenga block that if removed, the whole structure crashes down. 
So the rumor of hope is that those who trust in Jesus's name, Peter says, you will not be put to shame. All believers are part of this spiritual house, integrated as living stones to offer spiritual sacrifices as God's hands and feet in the world. And Christians are called to humility and submission, modeled after the Lord Jesus to offer spiritual sacrifices to God. And this is not servile subjection, but it's willing service, willing service by noble people. And Jesus willingly endured humiliation and God exalted him. And God calls us to willing submission and he will exalt us as well. And then next, Peter goes on to reveal the status Christians have as the true people of God and the importance of living as aliens in this world with that awareness. In Christ, we are God's people, God's building, God's realm, and God's priests. So living stones built on the cornerstone to construct a household of faith. Here's a household of faith. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. <clears throat> he says, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In contrast to those who stumble, those who accept Jesus as Savior have some wonderful titles. Chosen people. Chosen people are recipients of the special privilege of knowing God. Aliens and strangers uh, aren't chosen people. They're rejected and neglected. Uh, they hang about the margins of society, mostly forgotten, considered non-essential. But Peter proclaims that these aliens are personally called, chosen by God, to move out of darkness into his wonderful light. When the designers of the Billy Graham Center in Wheaton, Illinois, sought to provide an architectural parable of conversion, they appropriately planned a passageway through uh, deep darkness into a room walled with brilliant light. Once we were in this deep darkness, but now we are light in the Lord, called to walk in the light of Jesus Christ, the light of the world. Darkness is the state of the world under the prince of darkness, the state of blindness, of lifelessness, of death in which the world still lies. The gospel brings us out of this state into his marvelous light, the light of truth, of life and blessedness of as living stones in a spiritual house reflecting light to others. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus spoke of Christians being this light. In Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16, it says, You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 
a chosen people transformed uh, and, and transferred from the domain of darkness into the domain of his glorious light. And Peter goes on, it's a royal priesthood. Even before the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, 30 years after Peter wrote this in 70 AD, God appointed a new priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices, sacrifices of prayer and praise, of doing good and faith through our high priest, our mediator, Jesus Christ. We're a holy nation, Peter says. And he uses the term uh, ethnos here that we get ethnic from. Um, Every ethnicity is part of this thing, Jew and Gentile together in this new spiritual house, the church. It's God's own possession. God says, these are my people. Peter finishes with a reference uh, from the book of uh, Isaiah, the prophet Hosea, excuse me, in, in the Old Testament. Hosea's adulterous wife, Gomer, if you know the story, had children that represented the repeated idolatry of the Jews. In one passage, it says, call him Lo-Ami, not my people, for you are not my people and I am not your God. This was This was God's condemnation of his people, the Jews, for not uh, being obedient uh, toward the covenant he had made with them. But Hosea predicted a day when God would say, you are my people, and the people will say, you are my God. And here it is. And previously, Gentiles, they could go no farther into the than the court of the Gentiles in the temple compound, and now they are the temple compound. And so Christians have a status and a ministry we are chosen to be and become. And Peter presents the calling of the people of God, a holy people united to Christ. We stand before God as a spiritual house and holy priesthood called to declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. And all this is by the grace of God, God's claim on us makes our position secure. And the wonder, it isn't that God chooses some and not others, but that he chooses any. Instead of questioning God's ways, we humbly live into this mystery. God does not choose an elite. We are a chosen people, but not a choice people. God doesn't choose the wise, the mighty, or the noble, but the foolish and the weak and the despised. No heroes, just zeros. The Lord loves. Why? Well, because he loves. And nothing can explain the love of God for us. God's good pleasure is the movement of his will according to his nature. And he he unites us in Christ, uh, living stones joined to the cornerstone, And while Peter's language is corporate as he talks about this house, the reality of union with Christ is seen in the life of each living stone. And to the first century crew that Peter addressed, this may have all seemed like some fantastic fiction, but Peter whispers the amazing rumor that God has chosen us to be a living stone, to live in a certain way as a part of his spiritual house. As we close, my father, 
Robert Smith, was a school teacher in Los Angeles. And toward the end of his career, he taught in Watts, a neighborhood in South Central Los Angeles. One of the sites he passed on his way to school was Watts Towers, a famously odd piece of public art. Watts Towers was created over 33 years between 1921 and 1954 by an Italian immigrant construction worker and tile mason named Sabato Rodia. Watts Towers is a collection of 17 interconnected sculptural towers, structures, and mosaics built on Rodia's residential property. The towers are constructed of steel rebar and concrete wrapped with wire mesh and embedded with found objects, that is, trash. Soda pop bottles, ceramic tiles, seashells, figurines, mirrors, glass. The the tallest tower is 100 feet high, which Rodia, he would free climb this thing. Um, But he worked alone. He used hand tools. He never used architectural drawings. And he was often seen walking the 20 miles of, of railroad tracks between Watts and Wilmington down toward the harbor, collecting materials for his tower. Now, beginning with Solomon's Temple, through the cathedrals constructed in the Middle Ages, the best workmen and finest materials were used to construct places of worship to honor God. But miss the point that Peter makes here. The house of faith with Jesus the cornerstone and those who love him the living stones, is more like the Watts Tower than Solomon's Temple or St. Peter's Basilica. God's house is a creation of cast-offs. Jesus is a stone the builders rejected, and we're aliens and strangers salvaged to build his spiritual house. The church is a product of grace, and it's a reflection of grace. None of us could have earned any of this. The most significant thing about you, about me, is that we are living stones. God chose us to be a living stone. And so may God's grace in this moment overwhelm your heart with gratitude and joy. That is the appropriate response. And as the house of God, what spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God will you offer today.